You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thank you for joining the Tech Tank Podcast. I am co-host Nicole Turner-Lee, and I'm excited to have this conversation today. In the age of social media, it's hard to miss the sight of teenagers engrossed in their smartphones, constantly scrolling through content. Social media platforms like Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok have become immensely popular among these new generations, serving as their primary resource for education, entertainment, social connections, and just all-encompassing information. However, something's happening out there. Along with the rise in the use of these platforms, we're also witnessing an increase in negative emotions, such as depression, loneliness, and body dysmorphia among this demographic. A recent study conducted by Meta revealed that Instagram, one of their own platforms, was contributing to body image issues in approximately one-third of teenage girls. And just, just a few weeks ago, the U.S. Surgeon General has highlighted the mental health impacts of social media, further emphasizing the urgency of addressing this issue. And Pew Research Center, of which we're going to have Monica Anderson here, released surveys on teenagers and their usage patterns, providing valuable insights into frequency effects and the demographics that are affected by this phenomena. I'm excited today because we'll be joined by Monica Anderson, Director of the Internet and Technology Research Project at the Pew Research Center. And following her, we're actually going to have two teens on, Chloe and Camden. I'll tell you a little bit more about them when we actually start talking with them. And they'll be joined by Kamisha Covington-Parker, who is the dean at Northern Virginia Community College. She's also their Girl Scout troop leader as part of the Girl Scouts Council of the nation's capital. Thanks, Monica. Thanks so much, Nicole. Uh, One of the many projects that I have the privilege of working on at Pew is surveying teens and also doing focus groups of teens. And you're exactly right. The social media landscape for teens is constantly changing. And we know young people are often at the leading edge of this space. And so when we conducted our survey last year of teens, in this case, ages 13 to 17, we wanted to understand what were the most kind of popular sites that these teens were visiting. And by far, YouTube is the one that nearly all teens say that they use. 95% of teens in our survey said that they ever use the platform. But we also know that TikTok has come on the scene and majorities of teens, so about two thirds, also say that they are TikTok users. And then we see about six in 10 say that they use Snapchat or Instagram. And those shares have also grown over time. The one thing that we definitely do see in some of the biggest changes in this landscape is when we ask teens about Facebook. When we ask teens about whether or not they use that site in our 2014 survey, 71% of teens said that. When we asked the same question again last year, that number had dropped to 32%. So we see in just less than a decade how quickly the sites that teens say they use can evolve. And so when it comes down to kind of what 
kind of drives teens to use certain sites or kind of use certain platforms, our, our focus groups can, can lend some insight into that. And particularly around things like Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, you know, teens said that these were highly visual mediums that allowed them to kind of learn about what their friends are doing. They exchange messages. It's also a place where they kind of learn about the world around them. So whether it's kind of engaging with politics, engaging with pop culture or music or movies that they like, these sites that are very visual is something that we definitely see teens say they're gravitating to now. So that's really interesting that you've been able to sort of dissect how teens interact with the various social media platforms. What differences are you seeing when it comes to like demographics, race, gender, income? Are teens using these platforms pretty equally or are we seeing some differences when it comes to these demographic attributes? I think that's one of the biggest misnomers when it comes to social media use among teens. We assume that all teens are using all sites at at equal shares, but that's not necessarily the case when we look at the data. So let's take TikTok, for example. Majorities of teens say that they use the platform, and many say that they're on that platform almost constantly. When we look at the demographic breakdown, we really do see differences by both uh, gender, race, as well as by the age of teens. And so Black teens, for example, are more likely than white or Hispanic teens to say that they have been users of TikTok. And this is really kind of connected to some of the work that we see among the general population in the sense that uh, back in the day, Black Americans were more likely than other groups to say that they use Twitter. So oftentimes when we talk about social media use, uh, definitely being something that younger people gravitate around, while that's true, we even see differences among the younger population. And there's times where particularly Black teens do stand out. Girls are more likely than boys to say they use TikTok. And older teens, so those in our survey that were ages 15 to 17, were more likely than those ages 13 to 14 to say they use TikTok. One of the interesting differences that we have seen across surveys is that while the percentage of teens who say they use Facebook has dropped sharply uh, over the years, what we've seen in each of our surveys is that lower income teens are more likely than those in more affluent households to use Facebook. So about uh, more than four in 10 teens in lower income households say they use Facebook. For those in higher income households, that number drops to about a quarter. Mm, mm. Well, that's interesting. Are you sure they're using Facebook or are they using Meta? That was my joke, Monica. <laughs> you know, with the name change. Okay, never mind. Listen, um, it's so interesting that you say that too, because I remember some research that you all did some time ago, older people were more likely to be on Facebook slash Meta, right? Compared to teens. So it's interesting to see some of these trajectories that young people are actually taking. And we'll hear from some young people later as to, you know, what they're actually, you know, finding their time on uh, versus what we're hearing through the survey. So thank you for that. You know, I guess I have this question as we think about these properties, sort of moving it away from the different platforms themselves. 
What do you think have been the reasons for this increased consumption over the years? Pew did some research on this starting in 2018. Now, you know, we're out in 2023. We're seeing an increased use of these social media platforms. Obviously, we're also coming out of the tail end of the pandemic, where our research also suggested a heavy use of social media to counteract things like loneliness. We'd love to hear some more from you on, you know, how are teens going to these sites in ways that are countering some of those mental health effects of the pandemic? Are there some other positive uses that maybe we're missing that should be discussed? But what's your research telling us in that increase? You know, I think there's two things that I want to point to. And first, I want to talk about some of the negative impacts that teens say that they experience on social media. So in our survey last year, we asked teens a a number of different questions to really get at the positive and negative experiences that they may be having on the site. And we see that uh, many teens say that they feel overwhelmed because of all the drama that they encounter on social media. About a third say that these sites make them feel like their friends are leaving them out of things or that they have some type of pressure to post things that are popular, that's going to get a lot of likes and a lot of comments. Um, and we even see about a quarter of teens say that social media makes them feel worse about their own life. And this work is in- incredibly important because we should be able to document the troubling side of social media, particularly given that some teens, and especially in our study and other work, uh, especially young girls, are really struggling with these sites. At the same time, I think it's, it's also important for us to highlight the value that young people are getting out of these sites. And so there's a lot of conversation around the negative effects, which are very important for us to speak to. But we also know that when people use something, when they engage with things and do so on a regular basis, they're getting something out of that. And and our survey also speaks to that. So we see majorities of teens say that social media is positive for them because it's a way that they can connect with others, the way they can socialize and and really build up their support network and their friendships. They also talk about how important it is for them to be able to use these sites to learn about the world around them, to get information and get information in ways, you know, pre-social media would have been hard for them to be able to get to. And one of the things that we did in our survey was to ask a couple of open-ended questions so we can hear directly from teens about kind of what makes this a, a positive thing for them. And kind of one teenage boy really stood out in our data and spoke to the fact that, um, he says that he's socially awkward and making friends in person is difficult. And so being able to make friendships online and use social media means that uh, this young person was able to actually connect with people and have long lasting friendships. And so I think it's really important to talk about the kind of troubling side of social media, but we also should should kind of speak to the fact that many teens are using these sites in a positive way as well. 
Yeah, and that's interesting because I think the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General has made it pretty clear that social media is a public health and mental health crisis in this country. And we've seen, and I know, you know, Pew is a fact tank, not a think tank like we are at Brookings, but it does suggest a lot of action on the part of policymakers who want to do something about that. So thank you for commenting on, you know, just some of the positive uh, impacts that we see, particularly for young people that may not know how to open that door or to relationships or where technology is seen as a lower barrier to entry simply because you don't have to prove anything, right? You just have to show up and and be a part of the communities that are at hand. But when you think about some of those negative areas, Monica, I mean, your research also suggests that there's a lot to do with body image shaming um, on social media and other vulnerabilities that young people are particularly either pressured into or are concerned about. Help me put some of the data and findings when it came to, let's just say, young girls in social media. Certainly. So what we see is that girls tend to be more likely than boys to say that social media makes them feel overwhelmed because of all the drama they face. So 45%, so nearly half of teenage girls say this compared to about a third of teenage boys. We also see big gaps when it comes to things like uh, feeling excluded from your friend group. That's something that we saw in our survey data and also something that we see in our focus groups where particularly teenage girls talk about how to navigate this space of adolescence and friendships when, you know, a lot of things are online and on social media and you might see things that you expected to be invited to, but now you're feeling left out and and girls are more likely to report that. I think one of the other interesting findings here is that particularly older teenage girls, so those that are kind of 15 to 17, We asked a question about this notion of how people self-curate themselves online. And older teen girls really stood out in the senses that uh, about half of them said that they uh, often or sometimes decide not to post on social media because they're worried that someone else might use what they say to embarrass them. And those shares were much higher compared to younger girls or boys of any age. So I think it's also, you know, in, in addition to talking about gender, there is a dynamic going on with especially older girls are are really thinking about the the kind of negative consequences or their worries and fears that might happen if they post the wrong thing or if they say the wrong thing online. And that's something that we see both in our survey work and when we ask teens to talk about this in our focus groups. Yeah, and that's interesting too, because what I liked about your recent study is that you also asked these young people about the role of parents. You know, is there a role for parents to play in this? Like, what did your data say? Should we be thinking about them being more aggressive and more actively involved so teenagers don't have to sort of mitigate these problems themselves? Teens have definitely shown how important parents are as a first line of defense, especially when it comes to things like online harassment and cyberbullying. So we asked a question to get at how teens think about certain groups are doing and addressing cyberbullying. And what we see in this survey and what we've seen in past surveys is that parents rise to the top in terms of getting high marks from young people. So 
Uh, 66% of teens say that parents are doing an excellent or good job when it comes to addressing online harassment and cyberbullying. When we ask the same question, when we look at things like elected officials, majority say that that group is actually failing at addressing this issue. And we see a majority also say that of social media. So in that sense, when it comes down to uh, who is actually leading and helping kind of teens grapple with a big issue like harassment on these sites, uh, we definitely see that parents are more, parents rise to the top in the eyes of teenagers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And hopefully when we speak to the teenagers, we'll find out if us parents <laughs> actually do make a difference. You know, one last thing I want to ask you, Monica, is about your data. Did you find any type of role that technology companies should be playing? I mean, did the uh, respondents in the end say that tech companies should play a significant role of ensuring these positive messages are coming across their platforms? Or is this sort of like this is an issue that, you know, people have free choice and free will, right? And your dad is basically suggesting that young people, along with whoever the social support network is, will figure this out. Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, if there was anything that you found out around the role of tech companies themselves. I think that's a really important question. And one of the things I will share is that, again, talking about cyberbullying, a majority of teens actually see a space for social media companies to be more proactive and thinking of how to address cyberbullying through deleting posts. So teenagers definitely see a role for these companies to be involved in mitigating some of the negative harms that come, and in, in this case, cyberbullying. I would say if we took a step out and, and looked at our data more generally, so not just of teens, is that we do see that people think that these kind of big tech companies, social media companies do have a role to play when it comes in mitigating issues related to kind of whether it's about kind of cyberbullying or other kind of negative effects. But when we ask people about not just whether or not these companies have a role or responsibility, but whether or not they have faith that they'd be able to do it, we see that there is a lot less consensus that people think these companies could actually do a good job in mitigating these risks. And so while kind of Americans overall is like, yes, these companies should have a role in terms of kind of removing offensive content when asked whether or not how good of a job they'd be able to do, you know, only small shares actually have a lot of faith that these companies would be able to do that. And so I think that that is a really kind of important piece here is that, you know, there's also there's responsibility, but there's also what the outcome and the benefit might be in the long run. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because I think at the end of the day, it's hard to maybe put so much trust in the company that built the product in the first place. But I do think it's worth a conversation around what their role is and they how they can help with things that are very explicitly uh, biased um, and, and placing extra pressure on young people to make the right decision. Monica, is this going to go up or down in terms of your prediction, in terms of your next study? Are we going to see these numbers increase or are they going to flatline or are they going to decrease? What's your prediction? Well, you know, I think with our work, we really want to let the data kind of drive those conclusions. And what we see is that, you know, social media is such a, a kind of a ubiquitous thing in the lives of teenagers. 
and it will continue to be so, right? And so we also have to think about social media is, is as much as we talk about it as a place for politics, it's really a place where people connect, whether in good ways or bad ways. And so, you know, this has become a primary way, the way that, you know, young people are talking to each other, the way they're making plans, the way they're kind of making friends. And so that is going, that has always been a mainstay in the work that we've seen among teenagers. One of the things looking forward to kind of additional work that we're be, we'll be doing on this is we really want to go deeper in terms of the possible negative harms, particularly when it comes to kind of mental health issues, but also where teenagers see that kind of social media companies, parents, teachers might have a role in mitigating some of these risks. And so those are some of the kind of broader themes that we're going to be looking out for and really excited uh, to continue to do this work in the future. Well, we are so excited that Pew continues to keep a pulse on this research. We're excited for you in this new role as the director of this project. And, you know, thanks for joining us for this first part of the conversation, because I think it's really important for people to hear, particularly our listeners, that there's some level setting and understanding that is basically two sides of a coin. And as we look and explore this issue as policymakers, it's important for us to know what the data is telling us. So thanks, Monica. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Nicole. So I want to switch now to some actual teenagers. Chloe Lee, hmm, sounds quite familiar because, uh, yeah, that's my daughter. She's actually a sophomore who's about to be a junior next year in high school. And she's joined by Camden Parker, who is actually going into her sophomore year. Why the two of them? I promise you, it's not because I love both of them and one actually belongs to me. But it comes because no one ever hears from young people when we talk about these policy issues. So for this next part of the podcast, I want to bring them into the conversation. And then we'll be joined by uh, Kamisha Covington-Parker, who I introduced prior, who will actually speak to just what national organizations like the Girl Scouts are thinking when they have these issues come on board with their young girls. And again, I just want to be clear, Kamisha doesn't speak for the entire council. She speaks for our wonderful Girl Scout troop, of which she is managing uh, the cadets. So Chloe and Camden, I want to jump right into this conversation and start with you both. First and foremost, thank you for coming on. I'm happy to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. Chloe, let's start with you. Why are teens so connected to social media? I think Monica gave us some reasons for why some teens go on and what happens on both a positive and negative level. But why are so many teens connected to social media? And, you know, will that ever change in terms of teens like yourself getting off of it? I mean, well, we grew up in the time of the internet, and many kids in my generation were raised and influenced by these social media platforms. For example, YouTube, the former platform Vine, and TikTok, which started as Musical.ly. But I don't really think there's a way to get teens off of social media when everything around us is always in some way connected to these big platforms um, like Meta and TikTok. You know, I'm thinking about this question of, you know, this determinist question, right, of getting off. And Camden, I want to come over to you. You know, in addition to what Chloe said, why are teens like yourself connected to social media? I'm saying connected and not addicted, right? Because I know your mother doesn't let you stay on there that long, right? And like I asked Chloe, 
will there ever be a change in terms of teens getting off of them? I think most teens, like myself, we use social media platforms as a way to express ourselves, entertain ourselves, and feel connected in a place where we can find community of people who have similar interests. And I think social media can be used in positive and negative ways. And so I don't think that it will go anywhere anytime soon, but I think that uh, social media will continue to change with AI and other technological advancements that are growing. And so social media is only one way to find community. And I think we have to be intentional as a society about creating other spaces where people can connect, engage, and find community. That's so interesting. And you mentioned AI, artificial intelligence, and uh, everybody knows I love talking about that. So we'll come back to the role of AI in the social media platforms. Uh, Chloe, I want to come back to you and talk a little bit about social media and being a teen girl. You and Camden both can respond to this question, but we heard Monica Anderson talk a lot about, you know, the type of pressures that young people teen girls feel when there are on these platforms, you know, from both a positive and negative standpoint, I would assume teen girls that don't have a large community of friends may find one on those platforms. Uh, whereas teen girls who may be looking for, you know, unhealthy images may also find that as well. Chloe, when it comes to being a teen girl, what have been some of the high points of having social media access? I mean, there's been very various highs and lows for me. I guess it really depends on what side of the platform you're on. Uh, I think two of the best ways social media has changed me as a teen girl, though, uh, it has given me the opportunity to meet girls around my age that share the same interests with me. And it's created very meaningful friendships that I've carried since COVID-19 that I'm still going strong with even now. I have three friends that live all over the state, and I even have one friend who lives in Iceland who I've been friends with for more than five years. And not only that, but I feel as if social media has made me a better person and helped me introduce myself to things that I probably would have never thought that I would be into. Um, For example, it grew my love for film, for art, for music, and for fashion, and it introduced me to the world of health and wellness. So I've started journaling. I've learned to be comfortable in my own skin and so much more. But it does come with its negative effects, and there's been times where I'll be scrolling on TikTok or Instagram, and I see a girl that's maybe in her 20s with hundreds of thousands of likes simply for just looking pretty. And I'm like, man, why don't I look like her? Or I wish I had her body. But then I'm reminded that I'm only 16 and I'm still growing. And I feel like this is such an experience that almost every like teenage girl goes through. And that's not really the only negative effect either, because billions of people have access to these social media platforms. And A lot of it is made up of teens my age, especially on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, and their communities on these apps that glorify things that really shouldn't be glorified. For example, like mental illness, toxic relationships, and eating disorders is a very much glorified thing. And I don't think people realize that it's dangerous not only for teenage girls, but for everybody in general. Yeah, that is so interesting. And um, (laughs) I'm just hoping as a parent, I've done the right thing with you, baby girl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know that you actually are very uh, constructive and very discerning uh, when it comes to social media. But Camden, I want to kind of play off of this too, right? In terms of what Chloe's talking about, in terms of teen bullying and harassment. Uh, Monica spoke about that as a real phenomenon that happens among young people. How real are these incidents on these social media platforms? platforms? I think that these incidents are very real, especially it's 
on the internet, people are able to be really mean because they're hiding behind a screen and it makes them easier to harass people because they don't know anything about them. And so I actually experienced some cyberbullying through online games and platforms during the pandemic. But it's important to be able to talk with your parents or therapist in order to deal with issues like bullying and learning how to handle it and navigate it. And so I think this problem is extremely dangerous and social media contributes to cyberbullying and it can result in many dangers many things like eating disorders, body dysmorphia, as well as suicide or self-harm. You know, and you said something, and I want to stay on this camera for just a moment about the role of parents. And I know your mom is on here as well, and she loves you equally. And she uh, always says that to you as well. Uh, Monica talked about, you know, teens wanting their parents to step in when they actually see these uh, cyberbullying moments. Do you think that's appropriate for teens to really call on their parents to help them resolve these issues? Yes, I think it's important to have a parent or an adult that you can trust to go to with any issues that you face surrounding social media. You have to have a person that you can trust and you can feel safe so that you're not just suffering in silence. Yeah. Chloe, what about yourself? What about the role of parents? Um, For me, I believe that in this generation, there are so many kids that don't really feel connected with their parents. So a lot of them use social media for comfort. I think that the biggest thing parents need to do is just learn how to talk to your kids, especially when it comes to things such as mental health and self-love, because it builds a relationship where your kids will feel comfortable going to you rather than posting calls for help online if they're struggling or going to strangers for comfort and validation. And having these deep conversations builds a level of trust in these household relationships. And like, just tell your kids that you accept them, that you love them, that you're here to talk to them, that they're beautiful in their own skin, that their bodies are beautiful, that their minds are powerful, that they're special and unique and have so much to offer. I'm my uh, parent and I'm listening to this and, and you all don't know how special this is to have my daughter on here and her best friend uh, talking about these issues because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I'll start with you, Chloe. What are your thoughts about what policymakers need to hear, like in the Congress and at the state level? Are we doing too much dictating for teens or should we be getting teens at the table to talk about policy solutions? You know, that's a really good question. I feel like a lot of the times these policymakers in Congress and at the state level shouldn't really be dictating how teens use social media platforms. Like, although there's no way in denying that there are negative effects on these platforms, but it's really not that bad. If anything, I've realized that policymakers never really get input input from the teens that are on these apps. I feel like adults tend to stray toward the negative side, as Monica said, automatically, rather than trying to see the positive aspects that it can bring in. For example, more coverage on the Black Lives Matter protests during COVID. And instead of being so quick to ban these apps, why don't we just reinforce online etiquette again, especially in high school? Other than my family, I think I've only learned online etiquette once in like first grade. It's such an important thing to know in this day and age, especially after COVID-19. And Captain, what do you think? I mean, what is the role of policymakers? I love the way you spoke about what parents need to do. What about members of Congress who are basically, you know, throwing in the flag and saying we need to ban these uh, social media platforms? Or what about, you know, states that are now saying no TikTok in my state, uh, places like Montana? Is a ban the answer or should we be finding other ways to actually resolve this? Well, I think it's great that um, congressmen and policymakers are concerned with uh, the dangers of social media. But I think that 
input from younger generations, like my generation, Gen Z, or even the millennial generation uh, would be helpful so that the decisions aren't just being made from people from older de- generations because they're not as connected and they don't use it um, the like in a more in-depth way that we do. So I feel like to navigate the problem and find the problem to be able to fix it, you have to have input from people who interact with social media on a daily basis. And, and I want to bring in... Uh... Kamisha in just a moment. Yeah, I'm going to bring an adult. (laughs) Apologize for that. But before I do that, Chloe brought up an important point about learning online etiquette. I'd like to hear from both of you. um, What has been your experience about being taught about social media in school in terms of knowing what these flags are, understanding the positive benefits of being engaged in an online environment? Have you ever had a class like that? Has it ever been a part of any of your uh, coursework? Just curious. Camden, I'll start with you. So in schools, I don't think we're being taught enough about social media there. And so at my previous school, we actually had a technology class in seventh and eighth grade. And during that time, we talked about social media once. But the only thing that my teacher really said was to make sure that your social media accounts are private for your own protection but they did not discuss the negative impacts of social media and how to navigate that. And I think whether your account is public or private, social media can still be dangerous and teens can have access to a wide range of things. And I think that there should definitely be more attention drawn to the negative aspects of social media. And there should be classes in school that take a deeper dive of what being exposed to it can lead to. There needs to be training and programming and um, awareness spread about different things like cyber stalking and cyber bullying. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I was writing down in my own notes things that we should be putting as different modules. I think when I was in school, we didn't have social media, but we did talk about like reproductive health, you know, and things like that, driver's ed, you know, and how to be safe drivers. Chloe, what do you think? Uh, Should there be a class that's taught? And if there's a class, what do you think we should be teaching it? Should we do it at elementary school, middle school, high school, or maybe uh, a dose of, of each at each level? For me personally, I do believe that we should be learning it in high school because for my from my experience and from what I've seen in high school, a lot of kids nowadays do not know what a digital footprint is. And I feel like knowing what your digital footprint is is probably one of the most important things that you can learn about online. And I believe that instead of having so many classes on reproductive reproductive health, um, because in my district, at least, we've gotten taught reproductive health from middle school and elementary school to currently in high school. And I feel like in in somewhere in this mix, we should also be learning about our online safety. Yes, I agree. I agree. Although reproductive health is important, but I do agree. I do agree. Kamisha, I want to bring you in. I mean, these two young ladies are so impressive, not because one belongs to me and one belongs to you, but they're also part of a National Girl Scout program for which you are a troop leader. And I want to commend you on the time that you spend in this program, but I also would like to hear, and I know you do not speak for the National Girl Scouts Association, but What role can national organizations play in supporting healthy engagement uh, among teens when it comes to social media use? Well, first, I want to thank you, Dr. Lee, for having me on this podcast. 
And yes, um, I do believe that many national organizations, especially those that are involved with young people, have a role to play around what I'm going to call an epidemic in terms of the use of social media. Um, and we've seen, you know, some concerns around how it affects uh, mental health. So, you know, I think, first of all, aligning their priorities and understanding that it is a problem, right? Although we've talked about some of the positive um, things that come out of social media usage for teens, there are many negative things. And so I think, you know, making sure that they have key initiatives and that they're setting priorities around those things, you know, bringing teens into the conversation. So I heard um, our two young people on here talking about, you know, bringing young people to the table in terms of policymaking, these national organizations, they should be doing the same thing. So they should have representation from teams on their advisory boards so that they can actually listen to those concerns and actually, you know, be strategic about thinking about how they're going to combat um, these issues. Um, Girl Scouts is a girl-led organization all about empowering um, young women, um, young girls. And so I think the power in being girl-led is that they are very responsive to the needs of girls. They're listening to girls. They're having them participate in their own um, leadership. So, you know, they're actually learning by leading. And so having these conversations, uh, you know, with the girls, uh, letting them figure out solutions, which I think is a big part of the Girl Scout organization and being girl-led. So letting them be a part of the solutions, which I think, you know, policymakers um, should be doing as well as parents. So having these important conversations, but also I wanted to kind of um, think about something that I believe Camden said earlier about figuring out other ways to help create that community and those connections right? Because we know that social media is not going anywhere. So we got to be uh, very intentional about how we're using social media. But then we've also got to, you know, have other mechanisms of creating community and creating these connections. And, you know, as we begin to wrap up, I'm curious from you as also a parent, are, do we have a big role to play in this, Kamisha, when it comes to what the Pew Research data is suggesting, as well as what our daughters are saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Parents are very key. Um, we have to keep the lines of communication um, open, um, especially with our young people. I love what Chloe was saying earlier. We need to be speaking life into our young people. We need to be combating all of the, you know, the uh, negative like self-image things that are happening because of uh, social media. So we have to, you know, um, really just lift them up. We have to work hard to tell them every day, you know, how wonderful they are. We have to have these conversations. We have to be involved, like get in the ring, right? So if your kid is on social media, you have to be there too, right? You can't, it can't just be like a hands-off thing because you need to know, like, what are the things that they're being exposed to? How are you going to help them if you have no idea what they're being exposed to? It's critical mm -hmm. that parents are involved. You know, and I think that involvement, and I'll, I'll have the girls sort of take us out of this episode, but I think that involvement involves parents also be will being willing to learn from their kids. And the reason I say that is I was watching a special segment 
on television um, on a particular broadcast station that was sharing some of the ramifications of social media. And now there are many parents um, who are filing lawsuits against social media companies for things like um, their child became anorexic or really tough issues like social social media's impact on potentially suicide. And we don't know what the absolute correlation is at this moment. But what we do know is uh, in this particular segment, a parent said, I didn't know all this was going on. And so I think what you're talking about, Kamisha, is, you know, yes, as parents, we want to be pretty much command and control when it comes to a lot of things. But when we look back on our own lives and the things that we were told, don't listen to, you know, Motown music. I'm not that old, but there were people who were told that, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Wear certain things. You know, it's all part of growing up. But we as parents, as you said, we also have to... make sure we're creating the same external loving environment that, you know, in many respects will allow us to keep that communication line open with our kids. But more importantly, we're mirroring for our kids what healthy behavior looks like offline, while at the same time, you know, being clear about the ramifications in our schools, in our communities, among our national organizations and local organizations to raise the bar in education, which is something that touched me in that segment, you know, of us parents not really knowing uh, what's going on with our kids. And, you know, we got to get back to that. Yeah, I think you're right, though. It's the old adage, right? Stay involved, stay involved, stay involved. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Chloe and Camden, I would just say this. Some legislator may be listening right now from Congress and they may want to say to you, we want to ban it. But if we didn't ban it, give me one sentence on what you think we should do as policymakers to ensure your safety. And so, Camden, let's start with you. One sentence. What would you say if you were sitting before a group of members of Congress on the House or the Senate side and they asked you your particular policy um, advice on what they should do? What would you say? I would say that you as policymakers need to find ways to engage parents and teens to promote the positive aspects of social media and how it should be correctly used. Thank you. And we're off to you, Miss Chloe. You are sitting in front of policymakers who are trying to figure out the best solutions and what would be your advice in terms of a policy. I think you both have given a great one, which is to sort of find ways to integrate this into our nation's schools. But what else would you say, Chloe? You know what? All I would say is the same thing that I've been repeating. Just please, please, please make online etiquette a mandatory lesson. Yes. And with that, I want to thank the two of you for having the courage to come on and do your first podcast with the clarity of your conversation and your voice. I am clear that we may actually hear you on another podcast and it may not be this one. So thank you both for coming out. And Kamisha, continue to do the hard work. Girl Scouts is never easy. And I appreciate the work that you're doing to raise up these two beautiful young ladies, along with the entire troop that you have responsibility for as well as all the troop leaders out there who may be listening. Thank you, everybody, for coming on. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Tech Tank, where conversations around tech and telecom are done in palatable bits, not bites. Please follow this and other issues on our Tech Tank newsletter. We appreciate you for joining us and look forward to having you listen to our next episode.